1: The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
0: Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today we're talking about how babies, children, and even teenagers grow because how our children grow is such an obvious obsession. We almost don't even realize that we care about it, but from the beginning, We send birth announcements that even add height and weight. We try to predict how our babies will grow. We look at our tweens to try and guess what their adult size will be. And we attribute so many behaviors to growth spurts, from moods to appetites to sleep. So we have an expert with us today, Professor Michelle Lample, who's a developmental expert on the mechanisms and behaviors of human growth. Michelle, you're doing a study. You tell me about your study because I know... Pediatricians and parents often are used to the traditional sort of growth curve chart and that's what they look at. But I want to hear about your research, which people can get a really cool view of if they go to the babies um, documentary on Netflix as well. And which episode is that? It's episode three. It's episode three. So, you know, tell me what you have learned about babies' growth. And I think it, it would be so cool to talk through the mechanisms at play and the kinds of behaviors that you see over time, because we think about babies and even the way people talk about tweens and what's going on with them. And so much is attributed behaviorally with growth and vice versa. So I'm just so curious what the research says.
1: I began my research a number of years ago at this point. And when I began my research, I was Actually interested in behavioral development. My point here is, I didn't go into this particular research saying, "Let me show how babies grow," (laughs) and I'll do this by measuring them every day. But that had nothing to do with the background to my studies. I was interested in learning how to measure babies to have a biological marker as I followed their behavioral development in their home environment, and I started with one of my friends and we decided to measure her baby. And the first, very first time we did this, it was difficult. I mean, as you can imagine, and as any parent knows, no baby is going to sign up for stretching themselves out on a board and not move while somebody holds their head and somebody holds their feet. Now, that said, it kind of sounds terrible and it's not like that. I mean, I would never, ever measure any baby who didn't relatively give his or her agreement by not being upset by it. Mm -hmm. But it's not an easy thing to do. And I just say that because very often the methods themselves raise eyebrows. You can measure a baby's length very, very well if they're not fussy, if they're rested, and if you have a team of people who can distract while you're doing the measurement. So this is nothing that one person can decide to do at home. I think it's important to say that because otherwise everything I'm about to say sounds um, not possible. We began measuring my first baby subject over a weekend when everything was calm. And the first few measurements that I took were... You know, relatively similar. And then something catastrophic happened where the measurement that I took on the third day was nearly half an inch longer than the first two. And when it first happened, I, I thought, oh, well, that's great. Now I'm getting the hang of it. And I just had no clue right. what I was doing before. Wow. And so this went on. And that is the theme of how it is that I got into the research on how babies grow. And after the first few pops where the measurement was really half an inch longer in 24 hours, it caught my attention. You know, at the time, this was absolutely not possible. I was a student of how do children grow? And if you look at a growth chart, what's wrong with your eyes? Can't you see that Mm -hmm. they grow little by little every day? And so this was Dismissed as a measurement error. The long story of that short story is that I began measuring babies every day, and over a number of years, because I measured them every day, and it takes a while to get a sample. This is exactly what emerged: was this pattern of no growth, and then a sudden growth spurt. When I began my research, there was no literature on growth spurts, save for the La Leche League. (laughs) <laughs> who had reported growth spurts as an explanation for the intensive and frequent eating of breastfed infants. So that's the background on my research in how do babies grow. And over the years, it became obvious because I was following children beyond their babydom, that this wasn't something unique to babies. This is just how we grow and it's reported in plants it's reported in some animals and eventually it became more than interesting to me that this was the biological pattern of how we grow
0: so essentially we you know this whole idea that we just grow slowly over time and you just can't even notice it is it's totally off base we really do grow in these spurts yeah, I could be more
1: blunt and say it's completely wrong. <laughs> and, and, and let's take this a little bit further. From many of the, much of the time that I've been doing my research, when I explain to new parents what I'd like to work with them on, either the parent or a, more often it's a grandparent when, they, when I'm introduced to them, look at me like I'm daft. Right. Like, why on earth are you studying such an obvious phenomenon? Don't we all know this? And I think that that gives voice to the importance of the work. I, I don't mean the importance of my work, but the importance of the biological mm-hmm. understanding of, of how we grow. It is obvious to any parent that something happens. And I think you're, you introduce this very well when you say there are behavioral patterns. And there are the obvious features that the pants, the socks, the shoes don't fit one day. And in, in early infancy, it could be the diapers. But more frequently, it's it's the funny picture when you look down and you see that the pants don't meet the shoes anymore. And that's probably even more obvious in adolescence when I actually had a colleague who, who shared with me that he was in the band in high school and he took his band outfit with him for a game that was away. And they traveled on a Thursday on Friday when he put his band outfit pants on. He looked like a clown. That is so cool. Yeah, I think that gives you the sense of the immediacy of the biological event itself. And and there's a certain element here that's not often focused on, but what I'm describing is the fact that 90 to 95% of the time, we're not growing. Growth is a very specific event. It is rather dramatic and it's rare. So I think that that concept is important because particularly from parents, things are going along and you think you've established a pattern and and you're finally getting, for first time parents, particularly with babies, you feel like you're getting the hang of it. And then there is this massive disruption in Mm. the communication and the behavior that's very unnerving and very upsetting. And that's the reason that I believe we need to talk about this.
0: Did you know that socks are the number one most requested clothing item in homeless shelters? Well, Bombas is on a mission to change that. They created the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. And for every pair of socks purchased, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. Designed with special comfort innovations, colors, patterns, lengths, and styles, Bombas are perfect for the whole family. Get your hands on a pair of Bombas socks and your feet will thank you. Bombus has donated over 20 million pairs and counting. They're made from super soft natural cotton and every pair is designed with arch support, a seamless toe and a cushioned footbed that's supportive but not too thick. My new favorites are their new Merino wool socks designed to be breathable, dry, never itchy and with just the right amount of thickness. Yeah, I'm at a point in life where I appreciate a comfortable sock. With tons of different colors, patterns, lengths, and styles, Bombas also makes the perfect gift for anybody because you can feel really good while you're wearing them and feel really good about them. I wear them, in fact, even more now because I'm home more. So I'm walking around enjoying comfortable Bombas socks. Save 20% on your first purchase when you shop at bombas.com humans. That's Bombas, dot com slash humans to save 20%. Bombas.com slash humans. So tell me more about this because this is so fascinating. What are the equivalent kind of behavioral growth spurts that are occurring simultaneously that you've seen?
1: Parents are not measuring their babies. I mean, there's the rare parent who does that, and I usually hear from them. And that's kind of wonderful in its own narrative. But for the most part, we're living our lives
0: mm-hmm.
1: and going along. And, and, and suddenly, things are not okay one day, if I can say it that way. Not mm-hmm. okay, meaning uh, your baby is suddenly fussy. and. Mm-hmm most people respond to that and babies can't exactly sit back and say, excuse me, I'm having a rough day. Mm -hmm. They just tell you, they scream at you, they're fussy, they're whiny, any words that you can use to describe that, that terrible moment where nothing is
0: right. And you don't seem to be able to do anything to calm them down. And really every parent has experienced that moment in infancy and then, you know, throughout childhood. So it's important to know where this is coming from.
1: Exactly. Because the event itself, that disruptive behavior, and I'm using the word disruptive because I'm giving you a kind of analytical uh, commentary here, but it's not just disruptive, it's psychologically disturbing. You're relating and you're relating and you're relating and for first children, you're developing a relationship, they smile, they react, you're getting them going and all of a sudden nothing works that's disturbing that 's terribly disturbing to particularly new parents who want to do right by their child and make mm-hmm. them happy and comfort them and I think comforting is the word that is most important here because all of your toolkit of comforting suddenly doesn't work, and that's unnerving. It makes some people uh, upset, even angry, and that's the moment where I can best describe what does it look like when a baby is going to grow. In a moment, we can talk about at older ages, but let's anchor ourselves there. And at that moment, you try everything. What do people do when when a baby is crying? They try to comfort, they try to feed, they try to go down the list, depending on the Mm. individual and their, their child, they go down a list. And when nothing works, it's very upsetting. So let's start there. Now, what does that really look like? It's a matter of... They can't sleep or they won't sleep, however you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. And there's a sudden fussiness. For some children, it's voracious eating. There is not enough they can eat a baby at one time. There's this kind of head motion, frantic, hands and feet movement in very small children. And then they kind of pull off if you're breastfeeding and then they go back on. And there's this back and forth dialogue that's just filled with fussiness. So that's a kind of signature moment. Now, what is that about one might say? Is it just hunger? Probably not. Is it hunger? Yes, it is. So the classic example I can give you was I arrived one morning to visit a mother and her small daughter. And when I walked in the door, she looked like an art picture of a screaming woman. And I mean that with all affection. She was just exhausted and it was heartbreaking. It was those moments where you just say, how can I help you? Yeah. And her comment was, if this doesn't stop, I have to go out back and just end it all because I can't imagine how I can keep breastfeeding for 23 hours. So that is the vignette of what does a breastfeeding mother look like when her baby is going through a growth spurt. They eat frequently. That does not describe what it means to eat 23 times a day,
0: every hour. Right. And it feels so confusing because as you said, you keep going as a parent, like, okay, now I've got this and I figured this out. And then it goes away. And it's so difficult when you're combining that with the specific and sensitive experience of breastfeeding and, and the idea that you have to nourish your child and you can't and they're insatiable. It's just a, a mind mess.
1: That's exactly right. And so, one of the points is that is the baby really hungry? Or to our best understanding, yes, the baby's really hungry. But the second point is what function does this serve? We know scientifically that increased breastfeeding is an important stimulus for increasing production of breast milk. So there's a functionality biologically in this behavior pattern. There is, is, I believe, though we do not have precise data in humans, I believe that there is an increase in the appetite circuitry and the drive for more energy in the body and the way those two things are related, which is driving the infant to say, I'm, I'm really very hungry. Mm-hmm. They don't know they're hungry. They're just being driven to do mm-hmm. this, which then in turn increases milk production on the mother's side. And after a couple of days, they're back in sync. So one of the important things I would like to be clear is this is short Lived. This is not an event that goes on for days and you need to steal yourself for the rest of your life, though it feels like it. At that so, you,
0: so you just need to get through in your That's mind, this is going to be a, a couple of days and then this event will be over.
1: I think this is so important. I think that, and it's not just that this event will be over, it's what's the event. Because we mm-hmm. can all kind of, you know, bear up and get through things. And, and no doubt those skill sets are necessary. But in addition to that, the child's growing. This baby right. is, becoming, is becoming human. That's what we do. Aww. We grow and we have to experience these things. And as upsetting as it might be to parents, the baby is completely disoriented by this. I think that is the most important thing mm. is to develop the compassion and the empathy for this little person who's trapped in this body that's driving them and i think that's what i would like to help parents understand that their babies are not being difficult this isn't this isn't a test this is not one of those moments where parents need to show who's in charge here necessarily i'm not giving advice on parenting that's not my point here my point is simply that there are these times however you choose to handle them that are very real from a biological viewpoint and some comforting is important. And I think that is one of the most important aspects of what does it mean to know that babies and children grow in spurts. And so there is this disruption. And I, I want to be kind of clear about this because it's um, it doesn't look the same in every single child or even every single time it happens. So there is this kind of eating thing that goes on. And then there is... Very often with that, I almost wanna call it angst behavior. I wanna emphasize that for a moment when the nothing is right, because they'll, they'll shake their head and they don't wanna eat. One of the questions there is, are they uncomfortable? I would say, yes, they are. Do I know that because any baby has ever said to me, by the way, the words for this are uncomfortable? No, they look wow. uncomfortable. Could they be in pain? Yes, they can. Could they be in distress in their bones? There's a lot of argument about, are there growing pains? And we don't exactly know that. I want to be very clear. On the other hand, it's highly likely that a growth spurt of this magnitude causes some sort of achy pains. It's an inflammatory response. That's the part of the immune system that revs up and sends out chemistry that stimulates nerve receptors. Now, why do I say that? Because if you're going to grow, think about this, a half an inch in length. And sometimes more. I mean, there are children who grow more than that. And there are children who grow less than that. So I don't want to give the impression that everybody grows half an inch and that there is a clock to this. That's not Mm the case. Everybody has their own clock. And for some children, they might grow, I know, three or four millimeters, and some children might grow less, in which case we cannot scientifically measure them with Mm -hmm. these techniques. But there are ample number of children who grow about half an inch when they grow, so that it is measurable. So that said, what does that mean? It means that where we grow at the end of long bones, which are just before the joints, just before, for example, your, the thigh bone just above the knee, or the shin bone just below the knee and above the ankle, there's special growth plate areas. That's where bones elongate. And as that happens, I mean, imagine this. How do you get a half an inch longer? since yesterday.
0: That's amazing. What else it, can you say? It really is. It, yes. really is. it really is.
1: And when I first went about trying to understand this, I would talk to many people who would either say, no, it's not possible, or I have no idea. So my collaborator uh, in this particular aspect of this was a bone histologist. That's an individual who works on cells uh, at the level of cells of growth. and And he came up with the documentation that's more mind boggling, which is there are special cells in that area. And it's actually a hydraulic lift moment where there are cells who take in, I don't want to be quite so simplistic, but let's be simplistic. They take in water and all of a sudden they blow up like a balloon and many of them together are responsible for this sudden elongation. So when you realize that, that means that the end of the bone in this soft tissue area that has filled with nerves, all of a sudden gets stretched. And when you really think about that, then you can appreciate how it's possible that those nerves are tweaked and those nerves send off the chemicals that are associated with pain and discomfort. Mm -hmm. So when you stand back and you say, what is this little person going through? This is not a small event. This Mm -hmm. is a big deal. So at those times where the angst or discomfort I'm sure there's chemistry involved with this. Mm. Then there's the hunger signals. And then there's a kind of momentary sigh. There's a sleep. And it is in this sleep phase that the actual elongation is occurring. So this is kind of a drawn out episodic sequence of events where there's a rev up, if you will, you're taking on fuel you're, the, the body's getting itself organized kind of checking in and saying have we got fuel have we got architectural elements mm-hmm. and if the answers to those questions is yes then it's a okay let's release the system that's been held in check and let's permit growth to occur it occurs quickly the gates close again and what happens then at the level of the bone is the bone is actually built so it's a very specific wow. sequence of events that unfolds in life in this anxious, unhappy, frustrating, miserable child who needs to eat, finally goes to sleep, might need to eat more even going forward because you can go into a depletion state and then you can eat your way out of that. And then, alas,
0: a new plateau emerges. So when parents think about this from the perspective of how does this affect my day-to-day interaction with my child, those moments when you think, oh, I've got this down and my baby's sleeping through the night, for example, there, there are going to be these moments where we have to take into account those momentary but extraordinary growth spurts where you're going to have to shift and be flexible.
1: I think that's a wonderful way of saying it. And one of the hopeful aspects of this, if it's one way to say it, is that it occurs with decreasing frequency. So we grow very rapidly across the first year, to be sure, but babies grow less frequently across the first year. So what might have felt like a never-ending cycle in the first few months diminishes and it occurs less frequently with age and it might look differently. So let me share um, an example mm-hmm. that happened actually yesterday evening. I was FaceTiming with a new mother of a seven and a half month old. The mother was feeding the little boy and he was happy. Oh, he was having such a wonderful time eating. It was just delightful. squeezing his little hands with every bite and then as we began to talk, it was actually kind of funny because her attention came to me and the way he got his mother's attention back was wonderful. The reason I'm talking about this is the observation was he's eating and rubbing his eyes, eating is rubbing his eyes. And I said, he's really tired. And she said, yes, he is. But you know, we're going to press on. I don't want him to go to sleep until seven o'clock tonight. And I said, why? Mm. And and she said, because it's going to be a better schedule. I said, Let's step back from this. Has he been eating more than usual lately? Oh, yes. He's a very, very good eater right now. I said, well, maybe he actually needs to go to sleep right now. And a funny thing about sleep is that we know empirically, the sleep scientists have documented that there's a thing called sleep pressure. And when you get very, very sleepy, you should really go to sleep. Because if you press through that, and excuse me, most adults do. But if you do, then you can't sleep. That's right. So this is very well documented. And she said, oh my goodness, that's what happened to him yesterday. I said, why don't we take this as a sign Mm. and give it a try? So every growth spurt need not be a revolutionary, terrible interaction, especially if parents learn to read their child. Mm -hmm. I think that you can support children as they go through this. And it makes a great difference in happiness in the home and happiness with your child. And with yourself as a parent, right? That is correct. That's correct. I mean, parents want to do what's best for their child. Mm -hmm. And knowing these signals and being able to read them in your child is very important.
0: This is so fascinating. So can I I know we're about to run out of time, but I want to ask you as a child gets older, how does this sort itself out in adolescence? Because I can imagine that looks quite right. wild to an adolescent <laughs> when we're already talking about, you know, have, helping parents navigate parenting an adolescent and helping adolescents navigate the experience of being an adolescent. um, I think that would be extremely soothing to understand that mechanism at play.
1: I want to start a little bit earlier, if I may, because I think the question that you asked me in the beginning is, we think that only babies grow in spurts. No, we always grow in spurts. It's just Mm -hmm. less frequent across time. So I'm going to say in in toddlerdom, it's probably when they throw themselves on the floor. Uh Uh-huh. It's Ah. the terrible twos. Yes, it's the terrible threes. They'd completely decompensate. You have no idea what just happened. And the next thing you know, they're throwing themselves on the floor. That's that's, That's a model for childhood. And I've had a number of children who would say to me, you know, I don't know what happened to me, but yesterday when I came home from school, the next thing I knew, I was throwing myself on the floor like I was a baby. Now, they're not quite that elegant in what they're saying, but fundamentally they are. Right. You know, I get these episodes of, yeah, she came home, and the next thing I knew, she was in front of the refrigerator throwing herself on the floor because we didn't have something that she wanted. In that kind of moment, that's what it looks like in childhood. And then suddenly, if you add on the teenage years, I think we can imagine except that they exert themselves more, so they're more empowered in the way that they interact when they're short-tempered. The kind of very emotional, short-tempered, surly behavior that comes out of adolescence is a dead ringer. And I know this because I've measured adolescent who very well documented when I would come and her mother and her brother would say, oh, what a few days we've had here. That is exactly when growth occurred. So wow. Believe me, I'm not saying that there aren't behaviors that people can learn as a habit so that we're all very clear. But if your child is normally, you're communicating and suddenly another human being is with you at that moment, that's very likely to be a growth spurt And adolescence, they occur more frequently than they do in childhood. So part of this morph thing that occurs in adolescence has to do, of course, with changing changing hormones and developing brain, Mm -hmm. but that's also part of growing and the growth spurt. Of course. So I think that's exactly right. And if we can, again, have some perspective to say, maybe this is really biological, they're not testing me every single time we have to have this interaction, would be very helpful.
0: And now for listener Q&A. The first question is, how do I tell my kids that I'm not sure if they'll be going back to school for the rest of the year? So this question is on everyone's mind and you can replace the school part with any event that they're expecting that we're now unsure about. And here's the thing, uncertainty breeds anxiety. And because it breeds anxiety, we naturally get fixated on becoming sure of things. And it's pretty tricky because you can't when it comes to this particular really difficult and unchartered situation of COVID-19. So what we want to do with our kids is give them as clear of a picture as we can. So that is a very real possibility that school or fill in any blank you want of whatever they're trying to get certainty about is not necessarily going to happen but there's no way to get complete clarity. And so you need to acknowledge to your kids that it's probably really stressful to not have clarity. And so whatever is going to make them feel better, if it makes them feel better to think, you know what, there is not going to be school for the rest of the year. And I'm just going to accept that and operate under that assumption. And if something changes I'll be pleasantly surprised, then that's what they should go with. The very difficult part of stress is that, you know, that you feel very out of control. And usually if your kid is stressed out, they at least can look to their parents and see that the parents have everything covered and certain and have control. So this is not the case because we don't feel that way. And so the best you can do is try to imagine what you do have control over help your kids understand what is remaining the same, what is true for them, what they do know is gonna happen for the rest of this semester and to make a list. And then the things that are the question marks, they can also make a list about so that they can begin to have control over the things that they can do something about and let go of trying to control the things that they can't do anything about. This will help them and you tolerate that feeling of, uncertainty as being intolerable. Once you can feel like I can sit through uncertainty, I can sit through the unknown and I'm still going to come out. It's much easier to keep going with this. It will always help to show your children how we can turn unknown, um, as open possibilities. Now, I'm not saying that this has to be, you know, there's a silver lining to everything and it's all great. You absolutely want to acknowledge that this is hard and stressful and that's true and that you can't change it, but also your attitude about this time and what, how you model whether this is something that you can weather or something that is just intolerable for you is going to help them figure out how to accept it and learn how to, take on these big challenges. Now, I recognize that that's a lot easier when you're in a safe place, when you know that your family's okay, and when you aren't at risk. If those are not data points that make sense for you, then this will all feel very threatening. So you have to meet this anxiety where you are and help your kids be compassionate with you and themselves for not really knowing what to do with this uncertainty. And it is important to be honest with them. If they really have no idea what's going on, they need to know that that's a big possibility that there won't be school for the rest of the year. But, um, you know, again, think about their age, think about what's appropriate to share with them and remember that they are looking to us to kind of make sense of this very nonsensical seeming world. How can I keep myself from going bonkers during coronavirus? Okay. I'm not sure that I know how to answer this question, but I understand the question. So I'm going to try to say, first, go easy on yourself and recognize that the world is going a bit bonkers right now. And that's totally appropriate when you feel threatened right? It's not like a fake threat. There's a very real threat out there. And when you combine that with being bound to your home and bound to being with the same person or people constantly 24-7 and having to make new adjustments, that that can make anybody feel a lot of pressure. So go easy on yourself. Give yourself a little bit of time to adjust don't expect that you're going to get this right out of the gate, or that this is going to be something that you can have a seamless transition with. Just set a different bar for yourself. This is not the time to be a perfect parent. There was a really um, great title that I'm forgetting now, but it was basically like, now's not the time to try to be a perfect parent um, in the New York Times. It's really not. Just try to set a more realistic expectation for a an international pandemic where there's a lot of uncertainty. So once you say that to yourself, you can say, uh, okay, maybe I can go easier on myself. So set a different expectation and release that pressure and then have everybody make a schedule for themselves that fulfills what they need to accomplish in a day going forward after you've had ample time to veg out and be a little bit shocked at this new normal. If your children are really young, you need to set the schedule for them so they know what to expect each day. Even if all seems very obvious and it's the same, you want to write it down and make it visual. But for kids who are getting older and understand what needs to get done each day, or for kids who are doing online learning, have them set what they think the schedule should be for themselves. And then you say, I'll have a look at everybody's and I'll tweak it if I think you're not covering all your bases. It's really wonderful to practice every single day some kind of, see, I'm taking a deep breath right now, some kind of meditation practice or breath practice. Go ahead and do it in front of your kids, invite your kids. It's totally a perfect time to let go of trying to control things and expect that you can get a handle on what's going on. You absolutely cannot. That's why it's important to tell yourself you cannot so that you don't keep searching for that answer. And limit the amount of time you spend on the news and social media. Set aside, it's unrealistic to say you're not going to look at it, but set aside specific times of day. Put it in your schedule if you need to. At this particular time or these two times, I'm going to turn on the news. But this will help you along with finding a way to get regular exercise and finding a way to take time for yourself. Even though, again, you might be in a very crowded space of your family, you're hopefully just your own family crowded space. But, and even if you're trying to navigate working from home and having, you know, being a full-time parent, try to carve out the things that help you with self-care. It will be very important. And if you find yourself losing your cool, make a plan to step away, take some deep breaths and go easy on yourself. This is a strange time and we're going to get through it. Each day is going to be a little bit different and that's okay. And find support whether you find that support through friends that you can connect with on Google Hangouts or Zoom or FaceTime, or if you check in with family, definitely find people that you can check in with and commiserate with and celebrate with and come up with interesting ideas with because you're gonna need each other. And this is really an interesting time because we have so much access to each other while we're still so isolated. Make sure that your kids are too. We need people. We need relationships. And if you know people who are suffering alone or who are not able to see anybody, make sure that you look outward and support them Help your kids find those moments and maybe those are good moments where your kids can FaceTime with their grandma and you can take some time for yourself. Thank you for listening and I'm wishing everybody health and I don't even know what the right words are for this particular time, but I'm sending warmth and love out there.